0: Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the GnomeCast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. I'm your friendly review gnome, Jared Rasher, and today we've got a special GnomeCast for you. We'll be talking to Celeste Conowich. Would you like to introduce yourself and let people know where they know you from?
1: Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Celeste Conowich. I am a full-time TTRPG designer based out of Seattle. You might have seen my work before on some Dungeons & Dragons products. Uh, specifically, I was one of the writers on Icewind Dale Rime of the Frostmaiden from Wizards of the Coast. I also do a ton of freelance work with Cobalt Press, MCDM Productions, and I am a full-time game designer with 2C Gaming, which is a an awesome third-party D&D publisher. So that's just a few things. You might also know me from Venture Maidens, which is an actual play D and D fifth edition podcast that I've been the GM and producer for for over five years now. Uh, I'm also <laughs> a streamer. A you know I, I co own a network called Penwich Studio with uh, with Lisa Penrose. So just a few things, I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, I, and I know you know part of why I want to do this interview is because I've you know I look at a lot of third party D and D material. And I saw your name just increasingly show up in places like that, and then seeing your name in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, I really wanted to get a chance to talk to you. And I'm really glad that you're on the show.
1: Oh yeah, well you know what? I always love talking D and D. It's obviously <laughs> one of my favorite things, so always happy to chat.
0: So the first time I did hear your name was when I first ran into the Venture Maidens podcast. Uh, would you like to go into how that podcast started?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Venture Maidens has been around for quite a while now. Um, I remember we started it because D&D 5th edition had just come out. And at that point, I had been, you know, running a 3.5 campaign with my friends for, you know, four years at that point. And a bunch of my friends were starting, you know, the way adult life works, you all start getting jobs, moving away from each other. And, you know, I had heard um, Drunks and Dragons which was a very cool actual play podcast that was functioning at the time. And that was right when like the adventure zone was getting started. And I was thinking, wow, people really want to hear other people play D&D. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think my friends and I have a really great game and you know, what? it would also be really nice to hear more femme voices doing these, these types of games, and making mm-hmm. these types of shows. So With that, I made the decision to go all in. Uh, I was like, yep, let's figure out how to stream, how to podcast, let's figure (laughs) out how to do this completely virtually go. And luckily, you know, I had the rest of the Venture Maidens (laughs) support me and say yes. (laughs) And that was the beginning. And so now, yeah, five years later, we're still here making this show. We just started our campaign two after that first campaign wrapped up after all of that time. We're making a, a world book, the Venture Man's campaign guide, a setting guide. I so, mailed back that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that's, that's sort of the, the short version to a very long <laughs> tale. <laughs>
0: Is there anything that you wanted to share about season two or not season two, uh, campaign two of uh, Venture Maidens?
1: Yeah, well, what's really, really exciting is that we, you know, Venture Maidens teamed up with 2C Gaming, who I'm now an employee of 2C Gaming, to make the Venture Maidens campaign guide. And so right now, that luckily, you know, very successfully funded. So we are currently writing campaign, you know, the, the campaign guide. And What's so fun is that as I'm writing this and we're playing through campaign two, a lot of the elements that I'm creating like right now that are going in the book are appearing in the game. (laughs) You know, we are using all of the character options that we are like making. And so it's it's like the ultimate play test, right? Where we're in front of
0: everyone, (laughs)
1: right in front of everyone. We're just doing it live. So that that kind of interchange that that feedback that is happening is incredible. And I mean, world building and book writing on a pretty epic scale. So (laughs) if you do check out campaign two, you're actually seeing what is going to be in the book and seeing it in action.
0: So you also have a zine that is part of your Patreon. What kind of material is in the zine?
1: Yeah, so we do little fanzines for our uh, for our patrons, so that's twice a year. We put together a collection of just, I mean, basically a ton of fun stuff you might want to see if you're a fan of Venture Man, and so a bunch of art, we do little, like, character quizzes, we have, you know, fan fictions that we write about our <laughs> characters in the world, we have games, recipes, puzzles, all kinds of fun stuff that's just, you know, it's like, It's like a highlights magazine for adults. Um, (laughs) It's sort of what we do with these. So there are just always these really fun, super creative zines where I, and especially we, we love when we get to incorporate fan art and also show those off in the zines. So Mm -hmm. they're really just, you know, a a total love letter to (laughs) our patrons and the people who make venture maidens possible.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about the uh, campaign setting and the Kickstarter. We kind of, uh, Touched on that a little bit, but is there anything else you'd like to share about what's coming up in that uh, campaign guide?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the the challenge, right, of a campaign guide for a podcast (laughs) is that, (laughs) you know, we want people to be able to use this guide, even if they've never heard of Venture Maidens. So the number one priority with this book has been making a tool that is useful for any dungeon master or any player to approach and find something awesome to incorporate in their world find mechanics that are inspiring that are awesome to use something you really want to see at your table. I think the thing that I'm most excited about is this heroic destiny concept that we've developed for the book, which essentially it it's a way for DMs and players to work with each other to develop like the larger narrative for their character. So these are things like, you know, you might pick the Avenger heroic destiny and maybe you start off, you know, swearing vengeance against Some enemy that has wronged you, but you become this amazing like Batman-esque figure, you know, by the end of a campaign or, you know, symbiosis where you form a relationship with a type of beast that becomes a lifelong friendship. So it's these mechanics that allow you to cultivate like these personal stories within the larger narrative.
0: I know that was definitely one of the things that I saw in there that I really want to get a closer look at as uh, things develop. So yeah.
1: <laughs> I am I am so thrilled about it and that's something that's so special because that's something we did in the Venture Maidens campaign 1. It was all character focused mm-hmm. story arcs. So I was like, "Man, how can we bring this this thing about Venture Maidens to everyone?" So <laughs> I'm I'm stoked for you to check it out.
0: <laughs> so did you always have in mind that the campaign was in your own world or is that something that kind of developed as it moved forward
1: yeah so we we definitely we started homebrew in the homebrew world we knew we were always going to be there what's sort of interesting about it is this world has been with me for quite some time because i actually ran a 3.5 campaign set in the same world just sort of on the other side of the mountain range that we've Uh been playing in now (laughs) so This world has been brewing and developing for such a long time. And I mean, what's really exciting, too, is when you have a live audience that's so invested and involved in your story, the world absolutely changes and morphs and becomes better as people engage with it. So the world has always been there, but it's this constantly changing, ever, you know, breathing beast. (laughs) So
0: I was just going to share this as I was thinking about episodes and things that i've listened to and everything i don't know why this is but one of the things that has always stuck with me was remembering the red dragon chase with the uh the the gif that when you ran that for some reason that always sticks with me and i think part of that's because i don't think i'd ever heard anyone try to use the
1: the chase mechanics mechanics well they're just like hidden inside the section in the dmg and you're like okay (laughs) Um, So, of course, I had to go and find the weirdest thing to do. (laughs) That's that's just how my brain works. Uh, (laughs) So, yes, hopefully we're yet the only podcast out there that ever (laughs) chase mechanics, I guess. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare to see it for sure.
0: Oh, So I was going to also ask you about your current podcast network is Penrith Studio, which you mentioned earlier. How did this come about? Because I know when I first started listening to you, that wasn't necessarily the home of the podcast. So,
1: yeah. So when uh, when Venture Maiden started pretty quickly after uh, we linked up with Don't Split the Podcast Network, uh, which was a network owned by uh, James Tricasso and Rudy Basso, who are awesome folks, still very good friends of mine. And recently, in the last year, basically, they both got so busy with what they were doing. I mean, James moved to MCDM production, (laughs) the full-time, like, editor, so a lot was going on. So, unfortunately, don't split the podcast network, dissolve. And um, so, you know, it's the way of the world. Like, we're all so busy. Yeah. So with that in mind, I mean, something I've always wanted to do is to create my own podcast network, especially a place for femme-owned and led shows to really just get the support they need to make it in this industry because everything is so so male-dominated. I don't know if you've noticed. um, Just a little, yeah. (laughs) Just a bit. So... Really, you know, that was always a vision I had and something I really wanted to do. And another of the shows that was on Don't Split the Podcast Network, Behold Her, uh, which is made by the wonderful Lisa Penrose. You know, Lisa and I are really good friends. We were actually roommates when we first moved to (laughs) Seattle and we still you know, have that great friendship. So we decided to join forces (laughs) and make our dream a reality and create Penwich Studio.
0: I was lucky enough to get to meet Lisa once at Gamehole Con. Uh, Lisa, 2 years just ago I think so amazing
1: yeah <laughs> uh, such such an innovative creator and such like a positive voice of change uh so i working with her is an absolute joy and it was really just a natural step to form this network
0: <laughs> it's it's really interesting when you're talking about james getting that job i remember like there was this rapid fire like a bunch of designers that i've been following that were all freelancers all of a sudden getting full time jobs. Suddenly we like, got
1: hired. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so it was you and uh James Terracoso and uh Sean Merwin mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh it was like wow. <laughs>
1: What's going <Yeah>. on here? <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think that's a good sign, right, for this <laughs> industry. We are starting to actually like companies are starting to get in you know in the black uh, instead of in the red for the first time ever and mm-hmm. I love that people are prioritizing hiring full-time employees and really giving people benefits and like a chance to shine because having come from a full I just did one full year of full-time freelance (laughs) and that was so much it is just such a daily struggle to try and you know work on as many projects as you can and try to organize your life and try to live on you know the pennies that you get as a TTRPG designer making the jump to full time is just has been extraordinary and i'm i'm very very lucky to be here.
0: Yeah, i know. I know we still have a long way to go before mm-hmm. people are really getting paid what they're worth in the hobby and for different places, but it is nice to see more people than i can remember seeing yeah be able to actually make a living at it.
1: I mean, a few years ago i never would have been able to You know, I couldn't even have imagined having the job I have now uh, (laughs) being a full time game designer. And that that is just extraordinary that possibilities are opening up and people want them and there is need for them. (laughs)
0: Well, thankfully, I mean, I'm very happy to see people working full time and to see the variety of uh products coming out that i yeah. you know i review a lot of them so i get to see a whole bunch of them and
1: yeah i like it's amazing seeing a wide range of things when you have a happy team how <laughs> much like good stuff you can make <laughs> as a company it's like you know every time you turn around mcdm productions is making something amazing uh it's because they pay people so well and it's just such a great <laughs> environment it's it's I, it's just putting money right you know right into quality
0: and I, I also, I, I get a feeling like once you get to a certain point and where people kind of trust certain designers and certain companies, you actually start seeing a wider variety of things because people oh, yeah. know, you know what, I can, I can push a little bit further mm-hmm. and try this instead of just doing slightly different versions of the thing that I already sold.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you can take more creative license and creative risk. I think, you know, when your company is starting to do well, or you know, you do have a string of products that have been going consistently well, um, you absolutely build that trust. You know, your reputation is everything in this in this company. <laughs>
0: you know? Well, I mean, I I I really loved three five and I bought almost everything that came out for three five. Oh yeah, I have
1: three bookshelves but
0: 3-5. there was definitely a feeling that you were selling to the same people yep. over and over again. Yep. And that became a problem because if you're selling to the same people over and over again, and if, for example, somebody doesn't like that brand new, you know, twist that you put on something, then your product that you were counting on selling the same amount as the thing you put out last time, that suddenly becomes more of a problem Mm -hmm. than with this amazing explosion of fifth edition, you know, popularity that people have been coming into the hobby.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a really exciting time to be writing um, and to be designing games in general, because so many people are coming to gaming for the first time ever, you know, writing products that I I think this is something that I like to think of as one of my specialties, because I've been playing D&D for a very long Mm -hmm. time. And I'm very familiar with older editions, but I am in the younger age bracket. So I I like to think of myself as somebody who's bridging the gap between like this historical fantasy and this awesome catalog of work and like a love for, you know, the roots of everything, yet bringing it to in to in a way that is approachable to these new audiences and like introducing them to all this awesome stuff. Uh, that's been around and really defined the genre but making it accessible making it easy to understand making it usable
0: yeah i um this is going to date me but i had taught my kids how to play D and i used to run you know games for them they were part of one of the groups that i ran and two of them are still playing D now that they're married and out on their own Yay. and what's really funny is they're not just buying the wizard's material mm-hmm. like my son has backed several kickstarters like it's so it's not just bringing people into the hobby it's it's bringing people into the whole range of the hobby it's not just wizards it's the the entire hobby Mm -hmm. and that's what i really Mm -hmm. like about that
1: yeah yeah i mean there's so much stuff out there and it's just the the more that like nerdery becomes acceptable (laughs) in general i think you know all (laughs) when one thing rises everything else is brought up with it right i think we're seeing a surge you know in in comics in these like nerdy tv series you know Mm -hmm. oh my gosh the fact that like witcher is you know like nationally popular that's (laughs) amazing (laughs) when you look at that and a lot of that is because of this you know the this impetus of gaming is just rising up everywhere it's so incredible to see
0: and the thing uh, you know and it's th- this is the thing that gets me is it's not just d and D. I'm seeing more licensed things that are much more viable than I would have mm-hmm. thought they would have been especially like 10 years ago mm-hmm. there's an alien RPG that's doing really yeah. well there's a Star Trek RPG there's a Dune RPG I mean these properties that you know if you would have told me 10 years ago there's going to be an RPG I'd be like oh yeah okay. and it's probably going to sell like 100 <laughs> copies That that's
1: cool Yeah, at a con, somebody is going to staple some paperback books together, and there you go. I mean, yeah, especially with things like Kickstarter now um, becoming an actual viable way to make your products. You know, everyone can get into the creative space. Mm -hmm. What they do with that power once they're there is (laughs) is, is yet to be determined, but people can, you know, actually make their dreams happen for the first time ever
0: great power comes great responsibility
1: yes <laughs> oh yes
0: so speaking of actually wizards of the coast um you worked on Icewind Dale ryan with frost maiden and i have even listened to some of the episodes where you're running this for oh, other people on your podcast what was it like to work on that adventure
1: Yeah, it's scary. Um, (laughs) I think as you might imagine, you know, being a fresh-faced designer uh, and getting approached to write especially with so many other wonderful folks on that project i mean like ashley warren and hh H. carlin like were designers that i had been a huge fan of and followed their work for a <laughs> long time and then getting put on the project with them i was like are you sure <laughs> <laughs> i remember getting the email from chris perkin saying hey would you be interested in writing for this book and i was like this is this is a, this is is this real <laughs> But it was it was good. It was challenging. It was absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done and totally vital for me to learn about what what this career demands, Mm -hmm. because it was very challenging. Also, having somebody at that level of, you know, proficiency, judging your work and then having to deal with the feedback and like getting Mm -hmm. into that process, which is so fast and so you know, the forge has been made and like, this is how the books are made. And you you got to run to keep up and, and get in there. So a big learning experience.
0: <laughs> what I'm interested too is um, whenever I see multiple designers on a book like that, like, for example, on Candlekeep Mysteries, I understand how that worked because you had individuals working individual on pieces, yeah. individual pieces. But how how does the collaboration really work on a book like Rime of the Frost Maiden?
1: Yeah. So what I've heard, because I have talked to, you know, other design teams from books, is that my experience was remarkably team forward <laughs> and supportive compared to some of the other books that have happened. hmm. You know, most of the time it is just a bunch of disparate designers, and you get your section of the book, and you never talk about it, and you send it in, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But for *Rime of the Frost Maiden*, we all of the designers on that book were so good about meeting up regularly and providing support, be it emotional or <laughs> you know, <laughs> or otherwise. But I was just truly—I mean, truly—blessed to have that group of people to be designing and learning alongside. Uh, I don't know if I could have gotten through it without without such support and <laughs> kindness.
0: So I am really interested to hear more of your game that you're running though, just because there is something kind of neat about okay, this is somebody whose fingerprints are all over this to begin with, and then they're running it the way they want to for this group.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it is so weird, you know, having <laughs> having this book that you're running from this full campaign. And honestly, it makes DM prep so much easier because I'm so familiar. <laughs> with, with All you have, have to do is life. just
0: write a published book.
1: <laughs> there you go, and then it's a breeze. Um, but Down it to DM is DM prep right there. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite part is because you know a lot of my stuff is woven into different parts of the mm-hmm. book. Seeing when they encounter something that I wrote, or I know that I like designed this thing, you know, I feel almost like a spectator, you know, behind the glass. <laughs> like, are you gonna like it? Are you gonna hate it? It's um, it's very joyful. Uh, <laughs> I will say the whole time, I feel like I, I feel like a guilty kid, honestly, every time I run, <laughs> I run this game.
0: <laughs> it, it's really, it is interesting though, um, hearing you talk about the collaborative process. Because the way the adventures have been developed has really changed Mm -hmm. since the launch of fifth edition, just from looking at it from the outside, because your first three major story arcs were actually outsourced from, you know, freelance development studios. And to see that kind of develop over time has been really interesting, especially as it's pulling in more people whose name I recognize, you know, to work on different things, too.
1: Yeah, it's a it's. So interesting because you know I I think it's clear Wizard still hasn't figured out what the best way to do <laughs> adventures is yet or books even mm-hmm. so it, it's something you know as my job as a game designer working with third party companies it's really important for us to keep our finger on the pulse of like what is Wizard's doing like what is the new strategy mm-hmm. why is this changing and then also trying to read those trends. And Because, you know, at the end of the day, we all want to develop something that is useful, that is helpful, that is the best tool we can possibly design. So every book, it's like, you know, a different attempt at building a multi-tool. Mm-hmm. It's like if you had no idea what a multi-tool was and somebody explained <laughs> it to you, each book is like the attempt to do it until we get it perfectly right.
0: Yeah, and that that's been interesting just from the review front because there has been that change in... You know, anytime somebody's developing something and it's not for the primary company, there is kind of that deviation, the standard deviation right. from that. <laughs> like, here's how we
1: do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: What is the core? And the core has been changing. Like, for example, with the ability score adjustments and mm-hmm. not being connected to ancestry at, at this point in time, changing race into something like lineage or ancestry, mm-hmm. trying to decouple things like cultural things from those things to where they're more. Actual specific traits, which is something that it, you know. If you look at the um the unearthed arcana for uh, dragonborn, it looks like a lot of that is less. It's gonna be this is idea. dragonborn society, and this is more. Here's cool stuff that if you're you know a dragon person, you could do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: what's interesting, and and then just seeing like some of the changes in like instead of per uh, ability score bonus going to per proficiency score mm-hmm. bonus, and spending certain resources to reset things that are normally once prolonged rest right. that is a lot of moving parts that it have is. been kind of <laughs> drifting here <laughs> and i don't get me wrong i love a lot of that stuff i like a lot of those changes i think things like going with uh per proficiency bonus
1: oh it's so much better to design around proficiency bonus yeah i i have this argument frequently but <laughs> it's just so much better it naturally scales it makes sense
0: yes and you're not overly penalizing somebody that's not 100 percent optimized for their ability right. bonuses and if you have an ability that keys off of mm-hmm. something that isn't your primary thing then at least you're
1: you got something <laughs> yeah yeah
0: I'm going exactly. way off into the the woods here but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it it is interesting to see like people trying to keep up with those trends and whether they're incorporating them and i've even mentioned like in some of my reviews that certain things and it's not like it's not like an indictment or anything but there's certain things that feel like first generation 5e design because it hues very closely to Mm -hmm. what things look like in a player's handbook versus more recent design that looks more like the type of things that you're seeing in current books
1: yeah it is i mean this is one of the best things about having so many third-party companies out there and also having places like dm's guild and where people can bring. Creativity and innovation to the design process, I think everybody else's creativity and innovation is forcing wizards to step up and mm-hmm. to change and to develop new stuff, so it's ultimately feeding back into each other to make a better game, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know how the market should work uh lots of options <laughs> everybody gets better <laughs> so it's it's exciting it's really exciting to be here and to watch that happening.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because I remember back when third edition was transitioning to fourth edition, one of the designers, and I couldn't remember who it was right now, but they were discussing how they were hoping that the open game license would create a whole bunch of new things. And then they would be able to bring that back in Mm -hmm. and kind of integrate that into the game and get some fresh air from that and it didn't happen as much as they wanted it to with 3rd yeah. edition, and I feel like it is happening a lot more with 5th edition. edition.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, but who knows? Like, who knows what the next step is? Like, are we getting a 5.5? Like, it feels like at this point, like, it, we're it pretty does? new. Or... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is weird, because, like, once you start looking at, say, like, the Dragonborn, assuming that they kind of look like they do in Unearth Arcana, when those come out in uh, the Fizz Band book, those when you start looking back at the player's handbook and what those you know lineages look like in there it's like hmm
1: (laughs) that's i mean that's something i've been saying it's now we are we are sort of getting into a gray area where it's like you know if if somebody walks up to the game and they're like oh okay i just bought the player's handbook like that's the book i need that's the book i can afford Mm -hmm. and then you know they show up to a public play space next to somebody who's you know wielding one of these banana pants ancestries from the <laughs> curse of Stroud book or from ravenloft it's like that's not fair uh, that, that is a financial based disparity that we're looking at yeah. here so it's I, I and i'm not sure you know i don't have the answers mm-hmm. to uh how we fix that but i mean hopefully you know third party companies are there making things that are very accessible and mm-hmm. oftentimes more affordable so maybe that's going to equal the playing field
0: I know that one of the things that, you know, has been kind of talked about recently is changing some of the lore around the drow, but that was something mm-hmm. I was going to say when I think about third party developers. I love what Kobold Press did with Drow and the Underworld Players Guide mm-hmm. because they felt different and kind of alien to other elves, but they weren't cursed and always evil and, you know, yeah. Yeah. it avoided a lot of that stuff while still kind of making them Okay, these underground elves are different. This and is a different
1: world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As it would be yeah. if you were living underground.
0: And actually, I think um some of that even reminds me of um the game The Spire mm-hmm. and how it goes into the idea that all of these things with the Drow being cursed and lesser versions of elves is kind of like propaganda mm-hmm. from the high elves. Mm-hmm. And I loved that so much when I first yeah. read that book. That idea that, you know maybe even if it's not 100 percent true the idea is that you don't know the whole story you don't you yeah. know you don't necessarily understand this you know even though we're looking at this from a top down there
1: yeah i mean it's it's a really interesting move and, and i totally understand you know where wizards is coming from wanting mm-hmm. to you know make all of this not canon anymore because these people who are walking up to the game for the first time ever yeah. They don't care what all the Forgotten Realms lore is. Honestly, you can just ignore the fact that Forgotten Realms is a setting and be fine. You can still play D&D. I think that's how most people <laughs> walking up to it play D&D. So,
0: what's really weird is I have been like a long-time Realms fan, mm-hmm. but even I have I have not been that shocked or upset by decoupling things from canon yeah. because at some point it does become too unwieldy and Mm -hmm. also there are some negative things attached to that canon that it would just be better to cut loose than to try and fix so that i mean that's been something like i love i love all the giant lore that came up in uh, storm king's thunder (laughs) i love all the netherese stuff that came up in rhyme of the frost maiden but you can still do that without saying 100 percent of every word (laughs) has always been true
1: yeah yeah it definitely is, you know, and, and it does, the the DMs who go real hard on the Forgotten Realm stuff and their players maybe don't know what's going on, <laughs> it has been historically used as a tool to kind of lord mm-hmm. over these players. is like, oh, you don't belong here. So I see where they're coming from. And honestly, you know, I, I think if they want to make this more of a, you know, a painter's tool set than saying like, hey, this is the canvas you have to paint on, mm-hmm. uh, let's just give you the paint. I I think that's probably a pretty smart move.
0: Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And honestly, even though Greyhawk was kind of the base for third edition, it felt like it was less dependent on having a default setting.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, when
0: that came out.
1: Yeah, I still I mean, I love all the Greyhawk gods. Those are my <laughs> favorite deities to to date. I still weave them into everything. But it he definitely it, it was a lot looser. It mm-hmm. felt like.
0: I have a soft spot for the uh, Dawn War Pantheon that came out from 4th edition. I was really kind of glad that they left those Mm -hmm. in the uh, DMG. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I
1: I have all the 4th edition books. I ran it for a very brief amount of time before (laughs) returning back to 3.5. But, I mean, the 4e books are beautiful and Mm -hmm. full of such good ideas. Frequently, if I'm ever, like, blocked on something i love flipping through fourth edition books three five books
0: oh, especially the the dmgs
1: oh yeah oh the dmgs for 4e the dmg for 4e was great <laughs> uh, we 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 just need someone to like copy paste a bunch of that stuff and give us something <laughs> fifth edition I, i'm okay out. with the
0: dmg too i would buy it that
1: <laughs> help us out yeah let's just do it <laughs>
0: are there any future projects that you have coming up that you'd like to talk about at this time?
1: Future projects. I mean, future
0: projects (laughs) that you can talk about that you'd like to talk about.
1: (laughs) I mean, uh, the venture maintenance campaign guide obviously is in full production and the writing for that is going to be finished in September. So that's like right (laughs) around the corner. So the exciting stuff is going to be coming out there so definitely keep your eyes on that project Um, also I keep your eye on Cobalt Press I I write a lot of stuff for them and there's some exciting stuff coming down the pipelines there
0: so are you saying that you might have a hand in this character option thing that I've seen I
1: I don't know (laughs) (laughs) perhaps uh, (laughs) um, and you know um, if you haven't checked it out yet um, Kingdoms and Warfare from MCDM Productions just came out just became available for purchase uh, as digital versions Mm -hmm. Um, I would love if you checked out my stuff in there I think that was probably some of the best writing and design I've ever done was for that book. So I'm really, <laughs> really proud of it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I check out Venture Man's campaign too. I don't think I can tell you about any of my other projects. <laughs> just keep an eye out.
0: <laughs> did you have a specific focus in Kingdoms and Warfare?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, I did the whole, the court, the undying court. So all seven oh. of those very nasty undead boys. Uh, I got to do that. So, you know, check that out uh, if you want some nasty undead baddies. Oh, boy. Um, I also did a bunch of items for that. And uh, you can see, you know, I did some of the, the factions, some of the things. Fa- so that's the big section. Uh, but I had uh, hands and everything else in that book as well. But OK, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it was so fun. It- <laughs> I got to see, you know, the little minis. Like, on the Kickstarter, they uh-huh. had the Undying Court minis before, like, the stat blocks were designed, right? So I got to look at these <laughs> sick, nasty little minis and, like, build <laughs> stat blocks, which was so much fun.
0: So, I, I have I have bent your ear for quite a bit here, and I love a wide range of RPGs, but honestly, if you get me talking about d and I can go off on lots of tangents. And oh, yeah. I have really enjoy talking to you because you are just like you're all over what i picture in like there are certain names that i associate with different editions and yours is definitely becoming one of the names that i associate with fifth edition with everything yeah. that i've seen
1: oh, oh gosh <laughs> thank you that's very flattering thank you so much
0: so um where can people find you and keep up uh, with the things that you're working on
1: yeah the very very best way to keep up with the latest updates is to follow me on twitter at c and then if you want to see a slightly behind catalog of everything I've worked on, uh, <laughs> you can head to my website, CelesteConnerWitch.com. Definitely uh, check out also Penwich Studio. Uh, I'm not sure when this episode is dropping, but August 14th and 15th, we're running an event called Pod Jam. It's a big charity event that's happening where um, all proceeds are going to the Trevor Project, which is a very awesome LGBTQ mental health organization.
0: I think I just saw Lisa post about that. Not Yeah, too long, yeah. Like. so
1: that's today we announced it. So <laughs> that's going to be the 14th and 15th. Uh, we're going to have a ton of podcasters from a bunch of nerdy themed shows on having panels about like how to make a podcast, how to make money on a podcast, where to even get started. We'll have live recordings. It'll be a ton of fun. So we'd love to see you there on the Venture Maidens Twitch channel. <laughs> uh, you can check that out.
0: That is awesome. So, thank you so much for being here on the Gnomecast. Do you have any final thoughts you want to throw out to the audience?
1: No, just, you know, uh, stick with it. Be friendly, be kind, love games. Dragons (laughs) rock. Boom. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: (laughs) You are welcome. We really appreciate your time, and we'll be looking forward to seeing more of your projects in the future. This show is funded by the Gnomes Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad brought to you by the world's most popular role-playing game. No, not that one. We're taking advertising from the multiverse, so we're sponsored by the world's most popular role-playing game from an earth where dinosaurs became the dominant life form. Pick up your copy of Stealers and Lava Tunnels 5th Edition today. If you're enjoying the Gnome cast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Mastering Dungeons, RPG veterans and game designers Teos Abadia and Sean Merwin look at the game and the hobby of D&D from a variety of viewpoints, reporting the news, understanding the business, reviewing the products, and illuminating the design. Whether you're a fan, a player, a DM, or a designer, Sean and Teos cover topics of interest to you. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.